Hi, how you doing? I'm Laura Mitchell and this is episode four, can't believe we're at episode four, of my podcast, Going Gluten Free. This podcast is to help you in your journey of going gluten free, whether you're just kind of starting out in this little world or you're kind of looking for some extra tips or maybe you're already an expert, whatever it is, thank you for listening in. And on today's episode, I'm quite excited about this one. I'm going to be talking to 2016's MasterChef champion, Jane Devonshire, who is mostly gluten free after her son Ben was diagnosed with celiac disease at a really young age. I knew there was something not right. I absolutely knew there was something right and it was affecting the whole family. Imagine this really fractured baby. Everybody was it was difficult for everyone. I'm going to be chatting to Jane all about her MasterChef experience, all about her top tips for going gluten-free. And Jane has a recipe book as well, which has loads of fantastic little extra tips in there. If you're in need of some help, you know, she talks all about how to clean down for a completely new celiac gluten-free good kitchen that you can cook in and you won't have any contamination. And I'll be sharing my latest favourite gluten-free recipe But because I'm talking to Jane, I thought I'd share one of her recipes from her book, Hassle-Free, Gluten-Free. So what you're going to need today is 125 grams of gluten-free plain flour, half a teaspoon of smoked paprika, half a teaspoon of zaytun gum, 75 grams of unsalted butter, 85 grams of mature cheddar cheese, which you'll need to grate, one large egg yolk, 25 grams of parmesan finely grated, and some sea salt and pepper. I'll explain what all this is after my chat with Jane who tells us all about how it all began. Well Ben was born and he's the youngest of my four children and he was just always very fractious and never ever really settled and it got worse and worse and um, he just looked sick and he was screaming and there were a number of issues I'd take his play group and we'd bite people and you know it was really getting very bad and I'd go to the doctors and say I didn't think he was very well And I think their primary thing was, well, you've got four children, of course you're not coping. Um, And reaching to give me some sort of Prozac or, you know, antidepressant. And I I was not as articulate as I normally be because I wasn't getting any sleep. And I was also worried sick. So I'd start crying, which only proved their diagnosis. And it was a vicious circle. And I think I was just at my wit's end because I... I knew there was something not right. I absolutely knew there was something right. And it was affecting the whole family. You can imagine this really fractious baby. Everybody was, it was difficult for everyone. So when we moved in the midst of all this, and I still can't quite fathom out why we chose to move when life was so hard, but it was the best thing we ever did because we found a new GP. And I remember sitting and talking to him and he listened. And within three months, Ben was diagnosed. And it was incredible, the difference in him. Um, he went from being so angry and upset and all the time lashing out to being one of the most laid-back children and, and so calm um, and so kind. So it was really life-changing for us to get that diagnosis. And we were lucky to get it young because a lot of people wait years and years until they get a diagnosis. It's funny how... For some people, the symptoms are totally different. So for me, I got a sore stomach. But for Ben, clearly it was his behaviour that was just a bit odd, wasn't it? I think he generally was in a lot of pain. And I remember going to the doctors and showing them blood in his nappy. And the doctors just telling me it was hormones and, you know, and something else. So he'd obviously caught. And I was like, no, it's not. I know this isn't right. I had, it was my third boy, you know. But 
you listen to doctors, but I also wasn't aware to, I thought to get a diagnosis really, I think. But you are right. One of the problems with celiac disease is it manifests itself in so many different symptoms. And some people, of course, are asymptomatic. Some people like then um, get, go into dietary distress. Other people vomit. Other people come up in hives. Other, you know, and some people with children, it can just be a sign that they're just exhausted all the time. Which, when you've got teenagers, you just think, oh, well, they're teenagers, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's. I know it's a difficult one because it presents in so many different ways. But we can do blood tests, and one in they reckon that one in one hundred people in the UK has it. So it's a shame there isn't more of a, an understanding and awareness to test people for this to. Stop them going through what you did, which was 24 years of hell. I mean, I thought the average time to get diagnosed was 10, but I think the latest figures are 13 years. And that's really shocking. It is crazy, isn't it? So when Ben got his diagnosis, how did that change for you and your family and things? Did everybody start eating gluten-free or...? Yes, they did. I mean, it was just a decision that we made. Um, To begin with, we did try and mix it, but very quickly it became aware that that wasn't going to happen. And that was a number of reasons. I mean, I think we all talk about food being this huge social thing and how much we adore sitting around a table and everybody sharing plates of food and everything. And it very, very quickly became that food can also be the opposite. It can be very alienating and isolating, particularly when you're a child and you're trying to fit in. So one of the things was at my house, in our house, he was going to sit and eat exactly the same as everyone else. There wasn't going to be a difference. And I was really keen to make that the thing that we all just ate so all my kitchen is gluten-free there's a thin bin in the utility room for the others where they want if they want to eat you know bread or um something else they can go in there and have a toaster and everything but the best way i find that i can manage it um is to have the kitchen gluten-free and everything that i cook is gluten-free for the family so do you go into the sin bin or are you fully gluten-free now um, I must admit, I do go to the sin bin occasionally, <laughs> but at home, if it's Ben and I, now I will eat with him gluten-free, but if I'm home on my own, I, I, I will go. But I do find the difference. I feel a lot better when I don't eat it. And actually, I think probably 98, 95% of what I eat is gluten-free anyway. I naturally seem to veer towards that at the moment. It, I feel better for it too. It's funny you say that because I've been talking about this over the last couple of episodes and, you know, everyone I ask says yes. So do you think as a nation, as a, as a human race, we actually are all kind of gluten intolerant because it is just a bit of a poison? I don't believe that, no. And I think that there is a danger that a lot of people... I would never advise anybody to go on a gluten-free diet unless they, they had a medical or dietitian. Um, advice and I think the main reason is things like flour and in the population in general you get fortified flour so you've got all the the minerals and um, things that you need we we don't have that there's no similar thing in gluten-free flours and there are other things as well I think a lot of people go gluten-free and think that if they dive into gluten-free aisle they're eating healthy food and that's not the case because like any food that's ready bought is full of sugars and preservatives it's fantastic that it's there now I, I welcome the fact that we've got so much access to food but I think there is a danger that it, it, I, I personally would not say to everyone to go gluten-free unless they needed to, because I think that it's expensive. There are pitfalls with it and you need to have dietary, proper dietary advice before you make that plunge. I think you're absolutely right there. I need to talk about this because this is just fab. Obviously, you went on MasterChef and everybody will want to ask you questions about this. What was it like? For those who didn't watch it in 2016, can you tell us all about it? 
It was incredible. I mean, I think the story is quite well known that I didn't think I was good enough to do it. And my children, in particular Ben, pushed me to do it and sort of filled in the form and said, come on, mum. And in the end, I filled in the form and I thought, oh, you know, oh, well, what, what difference does it make? I'm not even going to get on this show. Let's just have a couple of hours fun. So we filled in the form and we sent it off. And of course, I got the call from MasterChef and went down in history for nearly hanging up on them because I thought it was my eldest son's uni friends playing a prank on me. So I was like, no, don't be silly. You would be ringing me. Sam, stop it. So, yeah. Um, it, but once I got on the show, I, I really wanted to do the best I could. It's such an incredible opportunity. The year I was on, there was only 40 contestants. Um, only? And it was, yeah, it was just amazing, though. I can't explain to you how bizarre and surreal and I watched the winning moment back for the first time for ages and you just want to pinch yourself it's almost like my head can't put that somebody like me did that thing if that makes sense it's totally you know, ordinary sense. people like me doesn't don't do that sort of thing and I did it so it was one of the hardest and one of the most incredible and rewarding things I've ever done and I I know it was hard and I know how stressful it was but I loved it because all of a sudden I, you know, it was something that I loved doing and to just be involved in that food world and to be able to submerge yourself in it was incredible. There's certain things you can't say, obviously, um, about what it was like with filming things, but just one question, was Greg Wallace nice? Oh, Greg is lovely. He's actually <laughs> a friend. and Genuinely, he's, he's actually a friend. He's one of the most genuine people I've ever met. He's so supportive. He came from a green grocery background. He's one of the most hardest working person I've ever known and my dad was a market trader too so we sort of had that in common and our London roots but genuinely um what you see is what you get with Greg and I love it I think he's he's, he's genuinely one of my favorite people and I I feel very proud to know him actually oh that's brilliant that's good because you, you always want to know these sorts of things when you watch someone on tv you think are they a nice person you know I know <laughs> I know he's but he is he's lovely and if you follow my social media feed and everything you'll see I, I follow everything and he he often okay. retweets and he wrote a beautiful forward for my book as well which was so lovely of him I hope you're enjoying my little chat with Jane so far. This is episode four of Going Gluten Free and Jane obviously has so many different tips as well that I hope you're picking up from her. If you want to get in touch at any time, you can go to my Twitter. It's at Radio Laws. You can get in contact and maybe ask any question that you need to and I will find out the answer for you if you are going gluten free and you need some help in the new world that you are embarking upon. Okay, so I'm going to share with you my favourite pick today of my recipe that I do every single episode and this one is quite a special one because it is out of Jane's book Hassle-Free, Gluten-Free but I'll tell you that right after part two of my chat with Jane What was your winning dish then in MasterChef? We did a three-course meal and we were allowed to pick whatever we wanted to cook and I found that quite hard because so I went back to what my favourite childhood food was so for starters we Sunday tea coming from a London family we all used to eat shellfish like the cockles and mussels and winkles and all that sort of stuff so I did a, a starter based on that and became infamous as the woman who cooked winkles on MasterChef because I don't think it's been done before <laughs> never been done before but hey it's unique no, I know I was determined to do it I absolutely love them I think people eat snails and I know I'm a foodie and I get that but it was just something that I wanted to celebrate and then I did a take on my mum's roast dinner my mum makes most beautiful roast lamb with 
I don't know why, but she says cauliflower with onion sauce. And and she, to this day, she doesn't know why she does it. (laughs) It's gorgeous. And I turn that into almost like a a curry type dish. Oh, tasty. Which is gorgeous with cauliflower and onion and lamb. And it was really nice. And then I did for my dessert a take on rhubarb and custard, which was a rosemary panna cotta with rhubarb, all different ways and honeycomb and a burnt orange and lemon caramel and stuff. So yeah, it was it was very complicated. I don't normally cook like that. But I did really enjoy putting the menu together. I didn't think it was going to win, but it did. So and it well did, it did all go playing on the day. So it was lovely. I'm really proud of those dishes. Actually, they were gorgeous. I take it when you get home, like all your kids are expecting. Mom, we're looking for three course meals now. This is it. <laughs> No, people always ask me that. Obviously, it's changed the way I cook because I've been and worked with some of some amazing chefs. You know, Mr. and Star chefs have been in their kitchens and worked with them. But at the end of the day, it took me 20 minutes to plate those three courses using tweezers. And I, if I tried to feed my four kids, <laughs> they would be so, no, no, that would, can you imagine the hysterics at home if I tried to use tweezers to plate up any plate of food? So, yeah. Not quite the same at home. And yeah. I must admit, my heart, I can do that. And I've, I love the mission stuff. And I love going and working with those chefs. But my heart lies in home cooking. That's really what I love to do. Well, when you are cooking at home then, Jane, what is it that you're cooking? If you could do a gluten-free dish for me, I would prefer that one as well. If you want. <laughs> no, it's always gluten-free. I cook gluten-free at home. I mean, yeah. if I cook lasagna or anything, it's always gluten-free. And we make our own bread and stuff. But I... Um, People always ask me this question, you know, the most difficult question, because I think food is about, well, it's about seasonality. So you're you're dying at the moment for the fresh strawberries and asparagus and all those wonderful things that are coming into season. And then come autumn time, you want to eat a really lovely stew and, you know, all gorgeous, those wintry foods. Mm-hmm. So, and also, I think food is about who you is, and that's particularly poignant at the moment. So Sunday lunches with mom and dad and family and, you know, it, it brings back so many memories. But I just love home cooking. I mean, we've we've had moussakas, lasagna, chef's pies, you name it. It's all all in the mix. Roasties, steaks, uh, chicken, you name it. Anything you can think of. I'm just really greedy. <laughs> You're just an all-round fabulous chef. That's it. So well, maybe it's easier to answer then. What does Ben love to eat of yours? Pasta. Pasta. If you gave Ben a choice, I mean, obviously he loves the more... Um, complicated stuff we do and he, he's always up for anything he's, a, he's really not a fussy eater which is lu- unlucky yeah. but if I gave him a choice if anything I asked Ben what he fancies for tea the answer is always pasta some sort of pasta I do that he loves spicy pastas oh that isn't that mad because as a gluten-free uh, celiac you kind of avoid pasta that's the one thing you want to like just dodge completely but obviously gluten-free and you're doing it really well so that's fab i think the pastas now are really good when he first diagnosed now they were horrible but um now some of the pasta brands are so good and um, we all eat them at first i had to there was one thing i had to cook separate because it just used to get a mush and it smelt not nice and stuff but the gluten pea pastas now, it's, it's indicative of how much better it's got. When Ben got diagnosed to now, how different is it with being able to get gluten-free options? Oh, huge. I mean, the food, I think the bread in particular, I, we were at the end of getting bread in a tin that I used to feed to my chickens and even they wouldn't eat it. That shows you how bad it was. <laughs> oh, my yeah, yeah. God. It was awful. And then the bread at first was, was really, really bad. Um, trying to make your own and you didn't really know where to start on them. Mm-hmm. And so... That, that was definitely a real issue, but it's certainly so much better now. I mean, the access to food that we've got, and I'd say the big, big 
um, improvements are in the bread and pastas. They, they are the basics that I've noticed the improvements in. And the, the gluten-free aisle is getting bigger and bigger, but yep. I wish they'd put more savouries in there. I wish it wasn't all desserts and sweets and cakes and biscuits and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I wish there were some decent gluten-free cereals. There's only a couple out there. <laughs> Unless you, you put it into a Rice Krispie cake or something like that, it just it's not the best. It's very sugary. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they need yeah. to work on that. But what do you think the future will look like then for for our aisles do you think they'll be bigger more savory i do i do i think they'll be bigger i think there's i mean as i say people are getting diagnosed they're trying to get diagnosed or are getting diagnosed one in 100 people that's a huge proportion of the population Mm -hmm. um and people who aren't it's a medical necessity for them i mean this is the other thing we always come up against that it's an allergy or food it's a food fad or something we're going to grow out of you know it's an autoimmune disease and it's a serious matter and you need to address it so I, I am looking forward to, I hope, you know, much better offerings, much wider offerings, and hopefully that the price will come down because gluten-free food at the moment is so prohibitively expensive sometimes for families that it's a real problem, I think. I have to agree there as well. I mean, some of the bread's like four quid. You're like, what? It's I know, I know. It's isn't it? It's one of the reasons why I'm trying to get people to make their own as well because I know not everybody has the time, but you know, easy focaccia recipe which takes literally 20 minutes, and you think well, if people can do that, it will save them a fortune and it's healthier. And I understand it's a time issue, but I think it, if you're gluten free, you unfortunately cooking for yourself is almost a necessity. Yeah. What? So, what is your your kind of top recipe then for bread? I've got quite a few actually. I've got some more coming out in the new book, but. The ones that I put in the first book were the ones I tend to fall back on all the time. And the gluten-free focaccia recipe, as I said, is really quite different. I've got, I've actually, the publishers allowed me to publish at the beginning of this when certain people in the community couldn't get any bread or anything. And that's a really lovely quick bread to do. And we, we have it in toasted, make it into sandwiches and all sorts. So that to me is my go-to because it's so easy and foolproof. You say your book, so tell me a little bit about your book then. The hassle-free, gluten-free. When I won, I I had this vision of writing a gluten-free cookbook that was every day for family. Because one of the things I found was a lot of the cookery books out there, not so much now, but at the time, were obviously written by people I felt who lived in, you know, big metropolises and had access to whole food stores or who could maybe afford to pay £40 for one dinner. I wanted to write a book that featured only stuff I could get in my quite small local supermarket and that gave people the base that they make a build on that for themselves. So, you know, I talk about you can add chilli, you can add this, but this is the base recipe. You can then go and make it what you want. And I'm really proud of it. And CDAC UK were really lovely and they came on board with it and they've um, put their endorsement on the front of it, which is lovely because yeah. that doesn't happen very often. And they've checked all the recipes and double-checked them to make sure and approve them all. So it's something that, if you had to my most proud thing professionally, that would be that, really. So if we wanted to get the book and follow you and follow your story, where can we find you? Oh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. I'm, I'm maybe not the best at it, but I do try. <laughs> but if you follow Jane C. Devonshire, because, yeah, Jane Devonshire is somebody who makes curtains, I think, bless her, is probably inundated. It's inundated and stuff, but Jane C. Devonshire on any of those. And the book's available on the normal places through North bookstores and online. You can get it on Amazon and all different places. So, yeah. And it's, it's called um, Hassle Free, Gluten Free if you need to find yeah. it. Okay, right. It's that time in the podcast that I need to ask the question that I ask everybody What is your favourite gluten free bread if you're not going to make it yourself, if you have to buy it somewhere? 
At the moment, I'm, we really like the Marks and Spencer's range of bread. Um, I, I, we've moved. We move around. Uh, ben was on the Shah rolls, the Shabbatta rolls and stuff, but they will keep having big holes in them. So now we've moved on to Marks and Spencer's. They're without wheat range, and I've found that there's some really lovely breads in there. Do you know what? There's a few people that said that. I'm actually on the Shah stuff at the minute, and I that's my favourite, but I think I'm going to have to move to Marquis because the amount of people saying it's good. I, I do think it's really good. I must admit, we've been very impressed with it. It's the, the closest so far. Yeah, absolutely. So just one last question for you then, Jane. If you had a top tip for somebody who's going gluten-free, what would it be? Don't panic. It is just food. I see so many people who end up almost terrified of what they're eating and food becomes their enemy and it should never be that. Food should always be a pleasure. And at the end of the day, most things aren't actually gluten-free. Your potatoes, your rice, all your fruit and vegetables, your meat, your sweets, most of that, not well, not all sweets, but some sweets, a lot of it is naturally gluten-free. So... Take a deep breath, get online. CDQ Pay would be my biggest thing. Go online to them, talk to them, become a member and access what they're telling you too. But just really enjoy food. It's not your enemy, it's really your friend and it should always be about joy and, you know, happiness. <laughs> I totally agree with that. Jane, you've been amazing. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. It's really lovely to speak to you. Oh, how lovely is Jane. She's so fab and she's been in the gluten-free world now for a wee while. So she knows what she's talking about. She's also got a book as well. This is hassle-free, gluten-free. So make sure you follow that. And she's got another one coming out. So if you need any tips and things like that, it's the best place to go. Okay, right. The recipe. The recipe that I do at the end of every episode. This one today I chose was from Jane's book, Hassle-Free, Gluten-Free. It is cheese straws, which you can have kind of with everything, can't you? You can gobble them all up yourself. So what I asked you to get was 125 grams of gluten-free plain flour, half a teaspoon of smoked paprika, half a teaspoon of zaitun gum, 75 grams of unsalted butter, 85 grams of cheddar cheese, which you need to grate, one large egg yolk, 25 grams of parmesan, which is finely grated, sea salt and freshly ground black pepper. This is so simple, this one. All you need is a lightly oiled baking tray as well. Preheat your oven to 200 degrees, sift the flour, smoked paprika, the zaitun gum and a pinch of salt into a bowl okay add the butter and rub between your fingertips and what you need to do is add the cheddar cheese and the egg yolk and then stir it into a form of dough if you need to add two to three tablespoons of water just a little at a time so you just know that it'll be right and then you need to get it to a stiff dough Take a bowl of dough, so like a 10 pence piece, a little one, and roll it out into a thin breadstick-like shape and then repeat for the remaining dough. Try and get as much cheese sticks as you can. (laughs) Scatter the parmesan and a little bit of sea salt and pepper onto your work surface. And then what you want to do is you genuinely want to roll the the cheese sticks into the mixture so that you coat the outside so it tastes extra nice when it comes out the oven. Then put it onto a baking mat or the tray and bake it in the oven for 15 to 20 minutes until they're golden. Then leave it to cool and then serve. How good is that? Then you've got your cheese sticks. You don't have to go to McDonald's or you don't have to do any of these things. And it'll taste delicious and gluten-free and appropriate for celiac as well. So I've been Laura Mitchell. This is episode four. I've really enjoyed myself and I hope you have too. If you've enjoyed the episode, make sure and give me just a wee little review if you want to. That would be fabulous. And I will see you for my final episode of this short series of Going Gluten-Free. See you in episode five.